Whenever Diane gets a new book, and it doesn't have to be a brand new book, it's just new to her, the first thing she does is she opens to the last chapter. And she reads the last chapter. Now I know you don't do that. You want to read it out, but she goes to the last chapter. She doesn't want any surprises. She wants to know what's happening throughout the book. She wants to see the progress of the story and the development of the characters and how they arrive at the end that she already knows. Sometimes she'll even discard the book if it doesn't have a good ending. But she always goes to the last chapter in the book. She wants to see how it ends. We have a last chapter in the book. And it gives us a wonderful description of how God will bring all things together. Sure doesn't look like it now, does it? No, it doesn't. Financial woes, political turmoil, unrest in nations, nation against nation. Oh, but God describes for us in the last chapter how it will all come together by His sovereign control. I want us to read a few verses from that last book in the Bible. Chapter 21. So if you turn to the very last book in the Bible and turn back probably one page, you'll find chapter 21. I'll read just a few verses and it will form the foundation of our time of study this morning. Revelation chapter 21 and I'll read the first four verses. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. Think of it. All that we hold dear, all that we now enjoy, will disappear. It will exist no more. It will be gone. And if you have placed your trust and confidence on that which you see... You have your confidence in the wrong place. Because it will disappear. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place or the tabernacle of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. Oh, that will be a good one on it. No more pain. Not only no more physical pain, but no more emotional pain. No pain. For the former things have passed away. The end of the book. 
the end of the story. These last two chapters in the book of Revelation, chapter 21 and 22, form a bookend with the first two chapters of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. They form bookends in the scriptures. We find in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, the creation, the start of it all. God spoke and it came into existence. And he breathed in man the breath of life and he became a living soul. And he placed him in a garden in Eden. Beautiful place. Far more beautiful than what we see and enjoy even at our best. And he communed with Adam and Eve in the garden. Talked with them. Walked with them. They knew his presence and his smile. In Revelation chapter 21 and 22 we see the end. And they frame like bookends the totality of Scripture. As we look at the Scriptures, we see that there are some similarities between the first two chapters of Genesis and the last two chapters of Revelation. In Genesis, we see God creating all things new. He spoke and the world came into existence. He then separated the waters from the earth and the waters from the firmament above. And he made sky and he made stars and planets and suns and moons. And he made trees and animals and fish in the water and man. All new. Never existed. He created it from nothing, spoke it into existence. Also in the Garden in Eden, they didn't know sin. God created them righteous. When God made them, they had no sin. And the fellowship that they enjoyed with each other, and the fellowship that they enjoyed with God as He communed with them, did not know the barrier of sin. The Garden in Eden. Paradise. When we read Revelation chapters 21 and 22, we see much the same thing. We see in the scriptures that we read that God created a new heaven and a new earth and a new city, and all that existed prior to it disappeared. We find God coming down to commune with his creatures, with man. We also find in the existence of mankind in the presence of God in this new city, in this new creation, we see man without sin. No more pain. No more sorrow. No more death. All of those come from sin. Not in that new place. So not only do they provide bookends, but they have very similar features about them. God residing with His people, fellowshipping, communing with them, 
they holy as he is holy in a new heaven a new earth a new city all of the chapters in between those two bookends we find that they describe for us God's revelation of himself and of his plan of redemption why did he need a plan of redemption oh you remember the story don't you we looked at it a few weeks ago a few months ago we examined Adam and Eve in the garden and we discovered that despite the fact that God created them without sin soon they yielded to the temptation of the serpent and they disobeyed God and sin entered their lives oh what a disaster what a horrible event sin thus passed on all mankind you and me included because we trace our ancestry back to Adam and Eve and we inherit in our lives their sinful nature just like they had after they sinned we find an intrusion into God's plan God gave them paradise and they rejected it they turned from it so did God change his mind and change his plan for creation no he didn't he began to work and he began by his sovereignty to mold and shape events and mankind to progress along a path that brings us to Revelation chapter 21 and 22 and all of the chapters in between describe for us that progress how God progressively revealed himself to men and women like you and like me and we find that God progressively revealed his plan and his purpose and how he would turn that which appeared hopeless into beauty and how he would turn a fallen creation into a new heaven a new earth a new city a new king we discover as we read through the, the chapters of the scriptures that God called a man by the name of Abraham Abraham lived at the time that God called him he lived in the locality we now know as Iraq and Iran Ur of the Chaldees. in that day God came and appeared to him and he called Abraham I want you to follow me hmm. boy that seems strange Abraham didn't know God Abraham worshipped idols he didn't know God but God in his grace and in his mercy came down and he called Abraham and said Abraham I am taking you for myself and I want you to follow me and I will lead you to a land that I will give to you and to your, and to your family and nations will come from you 
Abraham obeyed. Abraham followed him. And through Abraham, God has revealed to us the means by which he would begin his plan of redemption. Bringing back from lost men and women, men and women who would worship him, who would love him, who would obey him. He began with Abraham. He made a covenant with him. He made a promise. He said, if you follow me, I will bless your seed. And your seed will follow me. And through your seed, all of the nations of the world will be blessed. We come eventually to the book of Exodus, where we read about how God brought the children of Israel, the progeny of Abraham, who had lived in Egypt for 400 years as slaves to the Pharaoh. And you remember we've studied that. And how God brought them out of Egypt with a strong arm. And he brought them to Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai he spoke to them. And he appeared to them. And the earth shook and the lightning flashed. And the the cloudy pillar was there. And fire came out. And the earth trembled and... Oh, they knew something unusual had occurred. And God spoke to them and said, Now if you will obey me and follow my law, I will be with you. Just like we read in Revelation 21, I will come down and I will mingle with you. I will be your God and you will be my people. And I will fellowship with you and I will tabernacle with you. And as part of that law that he gave to them on on that occasion, he included a detailed description of the tabernacle. He said, you build this tabernacle exactly like I have described it, and when you have it completed, I will come down and I will make my residence in that tabernacle. It will appear as a a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night and you'll know my presence abides with you in the tabernacle. God revealing himself. God beginning to explain in pictures and in description his plan of redemption. All of it spoke of a day that would come when God would ultimately fulfill the promise that he made to Adam and Eve in the garden in Eden. After they sinned, he made a promise to them. I will send the seed of the woman who will come, and the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent who had brought sin and temptation into your lives. And God chose out Abraham and his children as the vehicle, the means by which he would bring into existence this champion who would destroy the serpent. If you trace the scriptures through the chapters, ultimately you come to what we call the New Testament in Matthew the first book of the New Testament. And what do you find in the very first chapter of Matthew chapter 1? You find the appearance 
of the champion. The one whom God had promised to Adam and Eve, whom he had promised to Abraham, whom he had described through the prophets, and he had described to the children of Israel through their worship in the temple. The champion arrived. He came. Jesus, by name. Emmanuel, God with us. God kept his word. All along, God proved and revealed his nature to people. A God of faithfulness. He kept alive the line that would ultimately produce the champion. He kept it alive. He ultimately provided the champion. He kept reminding his people through the prophets that he would keep his word, that the champion, the Messiah, would come. And he began to describe him through the prophets and gave many descriptions and details to describe this one so they would not miss him when he came. And don't you find it interesting? When the wise men came to Jerusalem because they had seen the star of the king and they, they came and they came to Jerusalem and they said, Where is he? Where is the king of the Jews? Don't you find it interesting that they knew where to look in their Bibles to find where the king would come? They turned right to it. Oh, well, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. That's where. They knew. Well, Jesus, when he came, he fulfilled all of the promises, all of the description, all of the plan of God, progressively revealing his plan of redemption, as well as revealing himself. A God of grace, a God of mercy, a long-suffering God, a God of faithfulness, a God who keeps his word, a sovereign God who works all things according to his plan and purpose, not those of men, and ultimately bringing his plan of redemption to fruition in his son, Jesus. The one through whom he would then restore all things. The one through whom he would create a new people. The one through whom he would redeem people like you and like me. And draw us to himself and reconcile us back to himself. That we might have fellowship with him as Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden. And as we will enjoy in far greater extent in that day in the new city, in the new heavens, in the new earth. The scriptures give to us the totality of God's plan of redemption, as well as the revelation of God himself, his nature, his personality, his works, so that we can know him, we can identify him, we can worship him. Do you know the champion? Have you met him? 
It would be hard for us in the United States not to have at least some knowledge of Jesus. We have many churches. We have the freedom of having a Bible. We celebrate Easter. We celebrate Christmas. Both events associated with Jesus. Sadly, for many of us, that's all we know about him. We only know him as a historical figure. And history certainly records the life of Christ and the mighty things that he did. And we can know about Jesus in that fashion. We, we can have a knowledge of Jesus. And so when I ask you the question, do you know Jesus? Probably all of you could say, yeah, oh, I know who he is. You know something about him. You've heard about him. You've perhaps even read about him in some fashion. Doubtless you have celebrated Easter and Christmas. <laughs> Maybe not in the way that his followers should celebrate them. But nonetheless, you've made some recognition, oh yeah, this is the day when Christ arose. And you may not fully understand all of that, but at least you have some understanding. But that really isn't my question. My question is, do you know him? Do you have some kind of intimate knowledge and fellowship with him? Because you can. Because you can. That's part of God's plan of redemption. He made it personal. He didn't make it national. He made it individual. Personal. So that each one of us here can have an intimate knowledge of the Lord Jesus and of His Heavenly Father. Jesus made that all possible when He came and lived and took upon Himself human flesh like you and I have. And how He endured Years of trial and temptation and difficulty and hardship, yet that tells us without sin. Have you ever gone an hour without sin? A day without sin? A week without sin? How about a lifetime without sin? Christ lived his lifetime without sin never a harsh word never an unkind unloving thought never a disobedience of any of God's law loving God with all of his heart and all of his soul and all of his strength and all of his mind completely totally obedient to all of the demands and commands of the Father and do you know why he did that? Not for himself. He didn't need to do that for himself, but he did that for people like you and like me. That when we would trust in him, we would come to know him. They you say, well, how do you explain that? I can't. I can't. All I can tell you 
I can tell you from personal experience that what the scriptures tell us proves true. For the scriptures tell us that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And Jesus promised those who would know him and would call upon him that he would come and take up his residence within them. You say, well, how does he do that? I don't know. But he does. Because I have experienced personal fellowship with the promised champion and with his father. And I've experienced it through the work of the Holy Spirit who comes and lives within those who trust Jesus. So when I ask you, do you know Jesus? That's what I mean. Perhaps you can. Perhaps you can say in your heart and in your mind as I've asked you the question, oh yes, I know that. I know that. I've experienced that. I know that. But on the possibility that you can't say that, I would call upon you today to heed the words of Christ who said, very simply, whosoever believes in me will not perish, but have everlasting life. Trust him to be for you the champion that God described and promised and provided him to become on behalf of people like you and like me. That comes in between the bookends. That comes in between Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22. God revealing his plan of redemption, describing it in the detail and the prophets and pictures of the Old Testament, bringing it to fruition in Jesus his Son as recorded in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then Paul and others writing other books following the Gospels, encouraging us how to walk with Christ, how to trust Him, how to obey Him and His call upon our lives, and we come to Revelation. We find in Revelation the culmination of it all. And we've read in chapter 21, the first few verses, how it ends. The new city. The size of that new city will extend 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles deep, and 1,500 miles high. That's quite a city. I think it's big enough to hold us all. Taking residence upon a new heaven and a new earth. We can know fellowship with God in our lives today. I've just described the process that God has provided for us whereby we can enjoy that. Oh, in that day, 
in that day we will experience it in ways we cannot experience it now. For the scriptures tell us we shall see him as he is. You've heard a lot about Jesus. You have some imagination, imaginary figure in your mind or picture in your mind of how he looks. Maybe like me he has a beard. Maybe he has long hair like Phil has got. And you've got this kind of picture in your... Oh, whatever you have imagined in your mind doesn't come close to the reality that we will see face to face. And we will enjoy fellowship with Him reserved for those who have trusted in Jesus the provision for sinners like you and me. It's not for everybody. It's only for those who have trusted Christ. Why do you think the Spirit of God through John, why do you think the Spirit of God had him write these things? Oh, I can think of a lot of reasons. I won't give you a long, lengthy list of the reasons why, just a few of them. We need to know God's plan of redemption because we need redemption. We're lost without Him. And if we didn't know God's plan, we would die without redemption and endure the eternal wrath and judgment of God. Separation from Him for all eternity. No fellowship whatsoever with God. That describes for us God's plan and provision for us. Another reason comes from the fact that in reading some of it, we find it kind of hard to understand, don't we? Well, what does he mean by that? Well, what does that mean? And we need some explanation for us to understand how it all fits together. The scriptures are not just a hodgepodge of books and a collection of writings. It's God's revelation of himself and of his plan of redemption. And how he ultimately will recreate what he started in the beginning. A place of residence for himself to tabernacle among us. To walk in fellowship with us. And a place of holiness. A new creation. And quite honestly along the way we get to question, don't we? Is it true? Is it really true? Or have I believed some old wives' tales? Some stories that sound good when you're a child, but as you grow up and mature, we realize all those really are just kind of kids' Bible stories and they really don't have much bearing on life and we just kind of set them aside. Oh no. God used his messenger, John, to write for us the culmination of it all so that we might have faith to the end. 
that we might trust Him in spite of the circumstances that we face and endure. Because God has proven Himself faithful to everything He has said. He will prove faithful in the last things that He has said. Abraham is described as a man who endured as seeing a city not made with hands. He lived centuries in the past and certainly centuries before he will ultimately enter that city. But he saw it. God opened his eyes of faith to see what he had prepared and God will do the same for you with the word that we've read. Will you actually picture in your mind a city? Well, I can't guarantee that he will do that for you. He might. But what he will do is he will give you that rock-solid faith to believe and to trust and to know in your mind and heart that that day will come when you will enter into that city and forever live, walk, move with God. He did it so that we might value God because of the great wonder of our land and the freedom that we have. Sometimes belief in God comes too easily. And by that I mean it's too familiar to us that we kind of take him for granted sometimes because life, compared to the rest of the world, my friends, we are all rich. And you say, oh, you don't know the size of my bank account, but you've got a bank account. (laughs) There are people living in Africa and in India and in Pakistan who don't have a roof over their heads, who don't have food for the rest of the day and perhaps even the rest of the week, and you've got a pantry full, oh, my friends, we are rich. And sometimes with that comes a complacency, and we take God for granted. Oh, we dare not take God for granted. We need to honor Him, value Him, who He is, the sovereign God who loves people like you and me, who has displayed His grace and His mercy with great abundance. And His Son, we need to love Him and honor Him and worship Him. The Spirit of God spoke through John these words that it might call us. Call us to trust. Call us to repent and turn. Turn from self-reliance and self-dependence and trust the provision that God made as part of His sweeping eternal plan of redemption, Jesus His Son. Trust Him to the saving of your soul. I pray that the Spirit of God will take these truths as we've looked at kind of a broad panoramic view of God's plan from creation to consummation, including the fall of man and the redemption of man. 
that he might in opening your eyes to see might turn your heart to believe and to trust Jesus his provision for people like you and me that through faith in him he might reconcile us back to himself that we might have fellowship with him now and in that day to come we might take up residence in that new city upon a new earth with new heavens let's close with prayer